people get extensions, like conservatory extensions anymore? I don't think so, because it's either just really hot or really cold. And you have to have this horrible wicker furniture. There's like a law that says you can't have normal furniture in there. All furniture must be wood-based. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of All The Way Through, the podcast journey through the Louis Through back catalogue to work out if we love them as much as we thought we did. My name is Matthew DeMoz and I'm joined forever and always by Alex Watson. Hello, Alex. Hello, everyone. I was going <laughs> <laughs> to try and show off my ventriloquism skills, but I realised it doesn't really translate. It was amazing. Your lips weren't moving for the whole time. I was really impressed. Yeah, it's my party piece. But Alex, why are you showing off your ventriloquism skills? What possibly could be the reason? Well, funny you should ask. And I keep thinking that if you didn't grow up in the UK, or even if you did, but you're slightly younger than us, this does sound like an insane fever dream. But I'm doing ventriloquism because Louis meets a man called Keith Harris, who is an entertainer in the UK, was an entertainer in the UK, RIP Keith, who became famous for his work with a small green bird called Orville, who is a puppet, and Keith did Orville's voice. Yeah, this is a bygone age of light entertainment in the UK, which Keith was very much at the heart at. The synopsis for this episode, which I thought was a very good summary of where we are at this point, which is 2002 when this episode came out, I think filmed around Christmas 2001. It says, Louis meets ventriloquist Keith Harrison Orville. Remember them? They're preparing for pantomime season, despite having fallen out of fashion on TV. It says, in their heyday, the double act had their own primetime TV show in the 80s, as well as a top 10 hit. Actually went to number four. They had a song in the charts. And Keith is determined to find his way out of the showbiz wilderness and back into the big time. So were you aware of Keith and Orville before Louis Threw, before this episode? Uh, yes, I think I was. I'm not sure why, because I was not a child of the 80s. I'm a little bit younger than that. I think my grandparents, one of them definitely would do impressions of Orville. So he is kind of ingrained in the British psyche, I think. Yeah, I think it was grandparents. I have this memory of being shown like videotapes of Keith and Orville and especially the song that was in the charts. Yeah, I think maybe our parents' parents were big fans of Keith and Orville and that somehow managed to trickle down to us. It is one of those things that you probably never saw live, but somehow you just know it anyway. It's like osmosis. It's so weird. We join Louis for the opener. The phone rings and Louis is coaxing Keith into letting Orville answer it. Hello? Hello? Yeah, hello, it's me. We're transported to a rainy day in sunny Blackpool. It's so rainy and there are these kind of mad nightmarish Christmas decorations hanging above the street. Have you ever been to Blackpool Illuminations? I haven't. You've missed out. It's a very, very fun affair. This is not a great tourist advertisement for Blackpool, I have to say. Look, the thing about Blackpool is if you were blindfolded, dropped in the middle of Blackpool and then had the blindfold taken off, you'd know exactly where you were, except maybe you'd just mistake it for Paris for one second. (laughs) And you've got to admire that. So Louis narrates over the top as he's driving down the front in Blackpool. You can see Blackpool Tower in the background. He says, As a child, I was always a fan of the ventriloquist Keith Harris and his famous creations, Orville the Duck and Cuddles the Monkey. So clearly this is Louis on a sort of nostalgia trip, reliving his childhood in this modern day documentary format. Alex, who from your childhood TV memories would you like to interview? Well, 
funnily enough, I think I've met a kind of big part of childhood TV memories. Dave Benson Phillips, who, for people who don't know, used to gunge people on TV. Um, that was a big moment for me. Yeah, I missed that day's filming and I still regret it. <laughs> was he everything you wanted? He was. He was amazing. He was so nice. Oh, man. I'm so jealous. Sorry. I didn't realise you still harboured that resentment for me all these years later. It's been seething in the background. Come on, what about you? Who would yours be? It was Dave Benson Phillips and it's ruined. <laughs> we find out that Keith is starring in and directing a production of Cinderella. And so Louis is going to go meet him the day before rehearsals begin. Louis has had a bit of a makeover. Spiky haircut. Looks a bit like he could be in a boy band. And he's got a cream camel coat now, which is very new to the Louis look. They go to this nice looking house, which is in Blackpool, and Keith answers and instantly gives a little welcome to Sunny Blackpool joke. Keith is dressed all in black. He has a small earring in, probably say middle age, probably in his 40s to 50s at this point. I think he's in his 50s here, but he looks okay. I wrote every man you've ever seen at a pub ever. Keith makes a big deal of telling Louis to wipe his feet, which I think is quite funny. And then Louis makes a big show of doing it. But he describes it as his humble home. It's very much not humble at all. It's quite decadent. Gold mirrors, wallpaper on the ceiling. I think it's meant to look like cornicing on the ceiling, but it's just textured wallpaper. It's a bit of an intense decoration look for me personally. It's a lot. I actually think that the other parts of the house are quite nicely decorated, especially considering this was very early thousands. For a star that has fallen out of fashion, it's a very nice home to have. So Louis comes into the hall, but then is instantly distracted by something next to the front door that we can't see. Points at it and Keith says, oh, it's a pantomime costume. He's all ready to go because they're leaving tonight to start their panto rehearsals. And he says he's very excited. So Louis picks up the costume and we see it wrapped in plastic. It's, I mean, if you've ever seen Cinderella in any form, it's clearly a buttons costume. So big character in the pantomime version of Cinderella. I don't think he's in the Disney version. He's not, but he is in the pantomime version and has been since 1860, according to the Buttons Wikipedia page. Apparently he's sometimes called Pedro in different interpretations, but first appeared in 1860 at the Strand Theatre in London in a version derived from an opera, and the character was originally called Batoni, mm. and then was added to the pantomime as Buttons. He's described as a male servant of the household on the Wikipedia, who loves Cinderella, but this is unrequited love. He's friend-zoned. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame for Buttons, really. But Keith says that he designed the costume, which kind of looks like a military uniform, blue with lots of buttons and shoulder epaulets and things on it. It's modern. It's more modern than your normal Buttons costume. Is there a space for a flip phone? How is it more modern? <laughs> it's got internet access. So Keith doesn't like wearing hats, so he's decided that Buttons doesn't wear a hat. But Orville has to wear the same costume and does have to wear a hat, which seems a bit unfair to push hats on Orville. Yeah, that's harsh. He doesn't even have any ears to keep them on. <laughs> He's also got a massive head. Louis says that he wondered whether Orville would be appearing in the panto as well. Respectfully, who is booking tickets for Keith Harris without Orville? Keith says that Orville's the star, of course, and Cuddles also appears. Cuddles is a bit of a dark character who doesn't really get to come out that much, which I find quite interesting. Anytime Cuddles speaks, he's like Keith's id. He's just pure <laughs> instinct and emotion. It's great. Good to put that in front of children, definitely. No issue there. So Keith talks about how the show is good because people will come to see Keith Harris, the entertainer, not just Orville. 
But then Louis asks him to elaborate on that and Keith seems to almost switch what he's saying. And he's saying that actually people will bring their kids because they grew up with Orville, like we were saying about our grandparents pushing Orville on us. And the kids will enjoy seeing Orville and Keith Harris, the entertainer. There is this really strange dynamic established straight away, which is like Louis picks apart everything Keith says. He doesn't let him away with any sort of throwaway lines. So Keith stumbles. He's like, well, Panto's Panto. People will come anyway. He says. And most of the children that will come have never heard of Orville because we haven't been on the TV for a long time. Ask me why. Why? Because we're not chefs. Thank you very much. (laughs) And And they start talking about how the TV is full of cooks, gardeners and DIY people. Jamie Oliver, Ground Force and Changing Rooms. That's where we are culturally at this point. Your Titch Marshes, your Harriets, your Llewellyn Bowens. This is where we are, definitely. Ventriloquism is done. But luckily, Keith can do all those things. He states that himself. He could do all those things. (laughs) He could build you a shed. He could do your front room. He could make you a spag bowl. But he's an entertainer first. That's what he does. And that's currently out of fashion. (laughs) People don't want entertainment. People don't want to be entertained anymore. Keith barrels on from this point. He wants to quickly move on and he starts showing Louis some of Orville's costumes for the pantomime, which are obviously very tiny. Orville's about three foot high, maybe. He's little, but he has to wear exactly the same outfits as Keith on stage. Louis seems really enthusiastic to the point where I'm like, is he actually excited or is he just trying to make Keith feel better? I think he's loving it. I think (laughs) this has awoken something in Louis. I don't know what it is. There is sheer elation on his face. So does Orville have a version of this blue one as well? There it is. There it is. There it there is. There it is. And socks too? I know they're mine. They're mine. <laughs> He's only got little feet. <laughs> Louis's like giggling like a child at this. It's so strange. So they walk into the kitchen and Louis's saying that this is his first time in Blackpool. Absolute shame on you, Louis. Alex, have you ever been to Blackpool? No, I've never. This is the second time you've Shame on you. Shame on you too. Keith is making Louis a coffee. They have some really awkward small talk about the temperature. Is that the right temperature? Has he mixed it enough? Clearly, they're like just getting to know each other and it's a little bit awkward. But Keith's like really keen, not for Louis to like it, but he's just watching him really intently. And I think that says a lot about him and about maybe his insecurities. It's a bit awkward. And then Keith says, I said, it tastes like mud. It was ground this morning. And this is the start of a lot of bad pun jokes that Keith makes when he's feeling a bit awkward or a bit insecure it's like a coping mechanism and it just kind of comes out like Tourette's it's incredible he does then laugh and says oh god I have this terrible habit of doing jokes so we're doing the classic Louis house tour Louis walks into the conservatory and he stands at the furthest end of the conservatory and puts his hands on his hips and kind of shouts, did you put this conservatory on? Which just felt very partridge. There's something so (laughs) strange about this. And then Louis, again, being slightly odd, I don't know if he feels a bit uneasy, says, where is your wife? And Keith says, they go to church. Keith's wife is from a Catholic family. Keith says, no, I'm uh, atheist, thank God. We go into the children's area of the house, which has walls painted in a lovely shade of Orville green. There's like a shelf with some books, photos, cuddly toys. There is a TV and VHS all-in-one combo unit. Oh, yes. yes. If you had one of those, you were laughing. Oh, I know. In your room as well. My God. Keith says he made this room for his kids to play in, which is quite sweet, really. There's obviously been a lot of love gone into that. I mean, he's also out of work, so you've got to keep yourself busy somehow. And he's proving that he can do DIY. (laughs) 
Keith points to a picture on the shelf and he says, oh, there's Princess Diana. Oh no, that's the wife. What a charmer. We learn the wife is called Sarah. And then Keith pulls out a portfolio that just happens to be sat there of lots of old modelling pictures of Sarah's. The way he does this though, because Louis kind of goes, oh, she's beautiful. And then Keith just goes, you think that's beautiful? Check out these. God, I was relieved that she wasn't in like lingerie. (laughs) I really got the fear for a moment. Yeah. But Keith also has to state for the record, she is a lovely, lovely person. Louis kind of presses the point. She's your fourth wife, I believe. She is, yes, yes. And then he says the strangest line. People have a go at you for being straight these days. They both kind of laugh about it. It's very odd. (laughs) We then move into the living room space and we see a family photo, a very classic family photo of Keith and his wife with the two young children. Keith's wife, Sarah, is standing up. Keith is in the chair. He's kind of holding a baby on his lap. Louis starts playing psychotherapist as he gets Keith to stare in this photo of the family. And they both say the family about nine times. The family. The family. The family. Louis asks, looking at this, how does it make you feel? And Keith says, how lucky I am. I'm a lucky person and very loved. But Louis's not happy with that. Do you feel like that person? I feel like that person there. Do you? (laughs) He's looking for trauma. What is that question? It's so odd. I don't know what he's hoping to get from this family portrait. Does he want Keith to be like, no, actually, I uh, hate my family. (laughs) Luckily, thank God, Sarah is home and the psychiatry session ends. She and Louis shake hands. She's really tall, blonde, slim, glamorous. She seems maybe a little bit shy about being on camera. And she brings with her Kitty, who is Keith and Sarah's little toddler daughter. She's tiny. And Louis, obviously a massive man, bends down in her face and just keeps saying, hello, hello. And she just completely blanks him, which I understand. Louis then asks Sarah, you've just come back from church. How was it? Clearly, Louis has not spent a lot of time at Catholic Mass. It's the same every time, Louis. There's not good ones and bad ones. It just happens. She did say it wasn't too bad. (laughs) That's the best you can hope for with mass. She then says, oh, the baby's in the car. It was a more chill parenting era, I think. Louis suddenly very attached to Sarah's height and he's kind of looking at Keith and looking at Sarah and he makes them go stand next to each other. The height difference is quite large. Sarah says she is 5 foot 11. That's very tall for a woman. But it's the age difference more than the height difference which is probably the most striking. There's big, big DiCaprio energy here from Keith Harris. I don't think we actually talk about their ages but they are probably about 20 years age different. Keith is wearing his ready, steady cook apron by the looks of it. Go green peppers. He can do it all. Call him. Sarah brings in the younger baby from the car who is weirdly dressed like a Soviet soldier. (laughs) I don't know what that outfit is. Do you think they just put Orville's clothes on the baby? That's a great money-saving idea. We learn that the baby is called, and Louis has forgotten already, Shenton, which is Keith's middle name. I have never met a Shenton. I've never met a Shenton. I hope... He was okay at school. Alex, according to the the website popularbabynames.com, between 1944 and 2009, there were three births of Shenton's. (laughs) I mean, that's more than I expected. This represents an average of zero birth of children bearing the name Shenton on average throughout this period. So we're back in the children's room. Keith is playing an old video of him and Orville on the TV. Keith is sporting a mullet on the TV image, which is actually very fashionable now. 
I found this interesting. We're kind of six minutes into the documentary and this is our first like proper flash of Orville. Keith says to Kitty, look at daddy's hair. And then Cuddles the monkey comes on the TV as well. Kitty doesn't look too bothered by the whole thing. Nah, she's not. Interesting director's choice here. We cut from the video of Orville singing to a bird being carved by an electric carver. I never even made that connection, but you are right. It's Sunday. Mass has happened. It's now time to have a fucking Sunday roast. And it's a full Sunday roast. There is no messing around here. Louis getting stuck in at the table. Nobody else has sat down yet and Louis got a full plate. I had a little look at what was on the table. We've got at least a full bird, chicken, I think. Roast potatoes, sweet corn, a huge cauliflower cheese, green beans, and I think sprouts, and some very dark gravy. I suppose this is a family by family thing, but that feels like a strange combination to me, personally. What's strange to you? Cauliflower cheese with a Sunday roast? I would definitely go for that. Ooh. Not a full one. They kind of just dropped a full cauliflower in cheese. Oh. But I think cauliflower cheese on a Sunday roast is elite level. Okay. Well, maybe I need to try that. (laughs) <laughs> that's another pod maybe we do my perfect sunday roast watch out off menu we're coming for you so keith says yeah you can't beat it sunday lunch at home one of the things we'd look forward to and he really does mean that he absolutely loves this even though obviously shenton has no idea what's going on and Kay barely has any idea what's going on they all sit and it's quite sweet And Louis asks how Keith and Sarah met. He asks Sarah specifically. She says that her friend took her to a club and said, oh, it's owned by that man on the telly with the green bird. Sarah says she didn't really know who Keith was. She thought Orville was an emu. So she's confused Keith with Rod Hull, who was another popular entertainer on British TV in the similar sort of era, probably a little bit earlier, who had a famous puppet called Emu, which was just literally on his arm. And he would attack people with it. And it was like famous on chat shows for him he would just jump on people with this emu what a time there were enough men with fake birds on their arms that you could confuse too it turned out that sarah didn't recognize keith at all because she'd never seen him on tv when he first became really big she was away in milan being a model and you know she wasn't watching the telly and keith said actually it was great that sarah didn't know who he was it's always a great chat line for him come home and meet the duck louis pauses over his roast as he's kind of devouring his chicken and says, did you ever really use that? <laughs> he laughs it off and says he's joking. But Sarah did come back and meet the duck, Louis points out. Then we cut to the front room and Orville is out and about. For anyone who doesn't know what Orville is, how do we describe him? He's kind of like a giant green duck in a nappy. Which sounds insane. (laughs) Orville first appeared on BBC TV from 1982 to 1990. The Keith Harris show ran for eight years as like primetime BBC TV. And then at the peak of their popularity, as we said, Orville and Harris released the song Orville Song, which reached number four in the UK singles chart in January 1983 and sold 400,000 copies in total. One of those was probably to one of my grandparents. Is it about how he's too scared to fly? The song? Yeah. I wish I could fly right up to the sky, but I can't. You can. I can't hide. I wish I could see. But folks see you need, but I can't. You can. I can't. That's it. That, for some reason, is implanted in the back of my brain somewhere. Louis seems really fascinated by Orville, and it probably is because it is transporting him back. It's like when you see clips of videos you had as a child. There is something in your brain. It sets off. It's so strange. It's quite nice because 
Kitty is obviously two years old and she is quite interested in Orville because she can stroke him and he's kind of furry texture and Keith is speaking to her well Orville is speaking to her by name saying hello Kitty like give me a kiss and I did actually see an interview where when she was an adult she said that she thought Orville was real to her like she grew up with Orville so that's quite sweet. That is really sweet. But then Louis is having basically the same reaction as her. Louis crouches down to be about the same height as her. And they're both just looking up at Orville. Louis says, You're not as shy. He's not as shy as I thought he was going to be. No, no. Why? Because he's in his own house, that's the thing. Really? If I was somewhere else, I might be worried. You might be worried if you're somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I like it, you know. Yeah. I feel safe, don't I? The fascination on Louis' face is incredible. He's starstruck. But then clearly Louis got himself a little bit too comfortable in the house. Next we cut to him slouched in a chair. He's feeling a bit cheeky as he says. Does um, Sarah, does he ever impersonate Orville, you know? <laughs> what? What? You've got a wicked does he mind. Does impersonate Orville? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Not in intimate situations? No. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> hey. I think that would be the biggest turn off ever, wouldn't you? Uh, I bet he did do weird voices, but I'm sure he didn't do Orville. No, you have to keep Orville away from the bedroom. But anyway, there's a pantomime crew to think about. Louis is narrating that he's helping Keith to load the car with a few props. And he has his hands firmly jammed in his pockets of his jacket as he's walking, helping absolutely no one. And then we cut to Keith's car, which has a license plate that reads Orville. O-R-V-I-L. Good God. Quite a flash white Mercedes, which Keith claims isn't flash. He wouldn't say it's flash. He wouldn't say it's Flash, although he's clearly thinking it. He says he's actually very proud of it. He says people beep and wave when they see it. (laughs) Bringing joy. (laughs) He thinks they're waving. There is definitely a hand motion probably going his way. So then Louis is kind of helping a little bit out with the props by wearing a fetching pirate-style hat on his head and carrying a box of strawberries. Foreshadowing. Alex. (laughs) I'm not singing yet. (laughs) Keith says he could walk on stage like that He's made for it An an idea is planted in Louis's head at this point Like a strawberry seed (laughs) So we say goodbye to baby Shenton and Sarah Louis and Keith are now driving off in the dark Full to the brim with Sunday roast Keith is going to stay in crew for the duration of Panto It's like when a boxer goes into training And separates themselves from the family Louis narrates that Keith is nervous ahead of rehearsals So he's going to be there to kind of help quell the nerves It's dark They pull up outside some red brick terraced houses They go inside And there's a photo frame on the wall With pictures of other celebs who have stayed in the cottage Louis spots Mark Curry from Blue Peter I have to say I did pause it I couldn't tell you who any of the other people in that collage were. No, none of these celebrities have lasted the test of time. There's Rod, Jane and Freddie from Rainbow. But that, that was it. I've just wrote an assortment of 70 celebrities. And the house is recommended accommodation through the theatre where the panto's on, which is why Keith's staying there. It's nothing special. It's a bit like residential weekend away with school or something like that. Yeah. Keith offers to make Louis a cup of tea, kind of wants him maybe to stay a little bit longer. Louis says, I think we should probably push off. So he's not staying long to help with Keith's nerves. And Keith says he better look at the script ahead of tomorrow anyway. 
Next morning, Louis is heading to the Crew Lyceum Theatre, which out the front looks absolutely stunning. According to the Wikipedia entry, there's been a theatre there since 1887, and they're still doing panto to this day. This Christmas, they were also showing the adult panto, which was Cinderella and her naughty buttons. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know whether Keith would approve of that. Adult panto sounds awful. Yeah, (laughs) but you know, whatever gets people in the theatre. Louis' potentially questionable makeover continues, by the way. He seems to be wearing yellow flared trousers with his cream coat now. There is some terrible outfit choices from Louis in this. So Louis is there to meet the rest of the cast, and it's a big display of stars in the crew panto this year. We have Jack Douglas, who is a star from the Carry On films. The Carry On films are a series of slightly risque comedies from the 60s, 70s, and probably 80s in the UK. Anne-Marie Davis from Brookie, Brookside. What a blast from the past. God bless Brookside. It's a soap opera if you're not familiar, and it's hard to explain. Uh, It was just Liverpool, essentially. And shipped in all the way from Australia, Stephen James King from Home and Away. Whoa. I would say I think I do recognise him. No, I can't say I do. (laughs) (laughs) If it was Toadfish, yeah. We cut to a studio space where the two young actors, Stephen and Anne-Marie, are singing a very lovey-dovey song to each other. It sounds absolutely crap. Oh my God, the big end. He just drops a bum note and stays with it and it is appallingly bad. It's day one. It's day one. They'll get there. They'll get there. If I was Keith, I would have walked out. At this point, Louis gets kind of a whirlwind handshake tour of the cast. Those previously mentioned, as well as the Lavelle twins, who both moved in unison and it really creeps me out. <laughs> and the camera's kind of like panning back and forth. There's a strange manic energy in the room. It feels like Keith has kind of stopped everything so that Louis can be there. And Louis says, oh, I don't want to get in the way. Get on with practicing. You know, you've got a lot to do. Then we cut to a few scenes of rehearsals. Everyone's just in normal clothes. We're not at the point of costumes yet. But Keith is being Buttons and Anne-Marie is being Cinderella, rehearsing a scene as the rest of the cast watch. Keith's doing lots of quick, cheesy jokes and impressions. He does a Bruce Forsyth at one point, I think. He also does a gag about a nine-carat gold chain, which is a chain with nine carats on. <laughs> Which is prime pantomime. There was an inner child that was enjoying it as I was watching. Then he says, <laughs> Straight from Ratner's, no wonder they close. That gag is outdated even in 2002, let alone now. Louis looks really worried while he's watching. He doesn't look amused whatsoever. Him and Keith have a sit down, have a pause to discuss how it's going. Louis is just kind of not listening. He's kind of fiddling around with bits on the table and he's like looking at a press release to announce the show while Keith's kind of laying out the rules of Panto. Rehearsals continue. Keith and Jack Douglas rehearse a scene and Keith's doing Orville's bits without Orville and he's moving his mouth. Childhood's absolutely being obliterated at this moment. He's doing air Orville, like air guitar. <laughs> it is quite weird that he's just doing Orville without Orville being there. Keith says, Hey, listen, listen, listen. Can Orville and I sleep in your bedroom tonight? Can what are you talking about? You would have... I don't want a duck in my bedroom. What about the smell? I'll get used to it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> This is good, solid fun, Alex. Good, solid fun. This is what you want from Pantomime. What do you want? You want this. Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) 
Back in the car that night, Keith drives Louis up to Chester to visit his parents. This is a beautiful tour of the North. Crew, Chester and Blackpool. I haven't ticked any of these off my list yet. We'll do the road trip. Louis narrates that he's heard Keith and his mum, Lila, are very close, so he's interested to see how they are together. Keith's dad answers the door and makes a joke. Well, I think he's making a joke about having to move the light bulb because Louis's tall. The mirror. Oh. The mirror is quite high on the wall and it's kind of head height with Louis and he says he's moved that especially for him turning up. Keith's dad's a proper old boy. He's wearing a shirt, tie and jumper, even though he's just in his own house. I don't think that's for the cameras. I think he would dress like that every day. Both of my granddads did that. Maybe not a tie all the time, but definitely a shirt and jumper. I used to have a neighbour who would like do the lawn wearing a shirt and trousers. (laughs) Incredible. Louis kind of introducing himself to Keith's dad and then he also points out Guy behind the camera who gets a lovely northern hello Guy which is Guy Gilbert who was the director of this documentary. This is the only Louis doc he actually worked on. He does go on to do Jamie's school dinners. Oh he went over to the dark chef side. He's the enemy of Keith Harris. So then we go into the kitchen with Keith's mum. She's talking about how her and Keith's dad met in a show called No No Nanette in 1937. That's 1937, which was a musical comedy, apparently. Louis's never heard of it. It's a, it was a farcical story involving three couples who find themselves together in a cottage in Atlantic City in the midst of a blackmail scheme. And it's the origin of the song T for Two. Keith's dad starts kind of singing the tune. He's like, you've never heard of this. They're all talking over each other. Louis looks absolutely lost at this point. (laughs) I love it. My heart bursts. They're so beautiful. It's just a really (laughs) lovely house. So then we go into the living room. Again, we're kind of doing the tour of the house vibe. And there's pictures of Keith, pride of place on this big cabinet. And then Lila shows Keith the panto outfit she's made for him. An amazing nighty with all these kind of cartoon characters and all sorts of design on it. It's actually really, really stunning. It's really nice. And she's made a nightcap as well, like a big long nightcap with a bobble on the end. Keith didn't send her any measurements, so she's just kind of had to guess, which makes it more impressive, I suppose. Keith opens the cupboard and there are hundreds of videos in there, which apparently are all of Keith on TV. Lila says, If Keith's on, the video's on. She's so obviously proud, which is nice. I mean, they've come from a sort of showbiz performance family, so they must have been really, really excited that he got so big. He's an epo baby, is what you're telling me. Yeah. (laughs) Keith sits cross-legged on the carpet here, falls back into being the kid in the house very easily. They stick on one of the videos which they say is from 20 years ago. So it's from the Black and White Minstrel Show, which stopped in 1978. I did at this point think, Alex, could we do Orville Way Through and just rewatch old tapes of Keith Harris and rate his performances? I thought you were going to say we watched Louis Through, but we'd review it in Orville's voice. <laughs> well, we've already shown that neither of us can do it very well. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> is, is that good? That's Keith's mum. So in this old footage from 22 years ago, Keith can't believe it's been that long. Orville's been very shy. He can't look at the audience. And Keith points out oh, his voice was much deeper than it eventually became. Oh, we'll turn around and uh, have a look at the ladies and gentlemen. I can't. Yes, you can. I can't. Louis says, oh yeah, Orville sounds really husky. He sounds more like cuddles. And then he tries to do an impression. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. What does he sound like now? They start talking about Orville's success and when he became the star. And Keith says it was the best thing that everyone could knock. Kind of it became a bit of a national punching bag because it was very sweet, very saccharine. In. It was very easy for people to take aim at, and criticism really seems to hurt Keith very deeply. 
Keith's mum's got his back, as every mum should, but Louis wonders aloud, doesn't everyone who becomes a big star get criticism? Doesn't everyone get knocked? He says it goes with the territory when you're on top. That's why you get well paid, really. Which feels very harsh from Louis. It's kind of a bit like, that's showbiz, kid. Louis says he gets the sense that Keith feels like he hasn't had all of the success that he deserves. And Lila says that's how she feels. So much talent and so much love to give that he somehow is, he just isn't able to give it, are you, love? He's a proper mummy's boy. Yeah, that feels like such a funny thing to say. And he is just like he's a little boy and his mum's protecting him. But look, those hundreds of videotapes say otherwise. This man was on TV for a very, very long time. It must be very hard to give that up. But there's no way you could say that he didn't get his time in show business. He really did. Louis asks Keith if he wishes he was on TV more often still. And Lila immediately answers for him and says yes. Keith says it would be nice, but he doesn't think his type of thing would ever come back. They don't like to back an old horse, he says. So then we watch another tape of Orville singing. I wrote, this is kind of celebrity goggle box before it's time. We are watching Keith watch Keith with his family. They're all dancing along and singing along. He's sat on the floor and there's tears in his eyes. And we cut to Norman, who is singing along in this falsetto voice. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. My heart burst. I would happily spend an evening with the Harris family. It looks fucking great. Oh, they are really cute. They are lovely. Aside from anything else, really nice to just have supportive parents like that who are just really proud of you. So we watch Keith and Louis drive off with the music still playing and the song they choose to go out on is Thank You For Liking Me. Back in the kitchen in Keith's rented cottage and he is microwaving some ready meal curries for him and Louis to have for tea. Microwave meals and cups of teas for the lads. I have a question. How do you feel about having a hot drink with hot food? Would I have a cup of tea with a microwave curry? No, is the answer. Thank God. But I do think this is slightly a Northwest thing because I think in like Blackpool and stuff in chip shops, you would get fish and chips and a cup of tea. I think I could probably do it with a chippy, but yeah, something like a curry and a cup of tea. I think even a chippy with a cup of tea is a lot to take in. Turns me off a little bit, got to be honest. Gives me the ick, I think is what the the kids are saying these days. All right, well, you can sit starving in the corner as Keith and Louie (laughs) chow down. They watch some TV and Louis narrates that he's kind of interested in Keith's past relationships. (laughs) He does this absolutely shocking segue. I think this is researched. I think he knew what he was doing here. Louis says, Cats is good, isn't it? Have you ever seen it? This is at least the second time in a Louis through documentary that he has mentioned Cats the musical. (laughs) He loves Cats. Keith says, yeah, my ex-missus played the lead role in it. Louis says, which one? Keith says... Which wife or which role? (laughs) Oh, God. Apparently it was the woman who sings the song Memory. The cat that sings the song Memory, sorry. Louis jokes, you were married to Elaine Page. But Jackie Scott was the wife we are referring to. And Keith very quietly says, yeah, the one that I had the child with called Sky. Which is quite a strange way to 
talk about your child. And then he says they were married for nine years and he sort of reflects on that for a moment. Keith then runs down through his marriages. He's had four, as we found out earlier. Mrs. Harris, number one, was 18 months. Mrs. Harris, number two, Jackie Scott, was nine years. And Mrs. Harris, number three, was only three months. Keith jokes, three months. I do jokes longer than that. It starts to feel a bit awkward as Louis just sort of keeps probing into this. He asks how long Keith had known his three-month wife before they got married. And Keith says, oh, not long. And how long was it before he knew the marriage wasn't working? Keith says, well, it wasn't really working before we got married, but you think things will change. You always think it'll get better. It's quite a difficult conversation, especially over a microwave curry on your lap in a cottage in crew. But it's important to say, I think the, the context is Keith has issues with alcohol at points in his life. It's not directly linked to this point, but there is a kind of hint that maybe this was during a time where Keith's drinking was particularly bad. And maybe that's why he was kind of making these life decisions that weren't quite right. So he wants to change the subject and he says, who wants to talk about the past? Let's talk about me and the future and my lovely family. Counts down all these comics that keep going on the television and all distraught and their life's terrible and they have to go out boozing and, you know, abusing their privileges and uh, playing for the sympathy of the audience to get back. Who wants to do all that? I want to talk about happiness. This is really interesting. I wondered who he could be referring to at this point. He seems to definitely have someone in mind, but I couldn't think who. It's either that or he is projecting about himself, I suppose, and saying, I could do this, but I'm not going to do it or I don't want to do it. That's true. He says he wants to talk about happiness at last and says he's never been so happy in his life. But it's like he's trying to convince Louis so much that it starts to feel like a bit much. Yeah, it does seem a little bit staged and almost like he is saying it for his own benefit more than he is Louis. Louis says he's turning in and he's staying at Keith's cottage in a little floral bed. They talk about how 8am is too early for Louis to get up, which we, we know, know is that's true. true. Yeah. And Keith, by the looks of it, quite literally tucks Louis in to his single floral bed. <laughs> so then we see it fade to black and then it goes back to morning. They both come out of their rooms about the same time. <laughs> the doors are right next to each other, facing each other. If one of them farted in their room, you would hear it. Louis is in his TV Nation shirt, which is really funny, a real throwback. TV Nation has been reduced to a sleeping t-shirt. Keith has a awful dressing gown. I have written that in his really loud pattern dressing gown and chain. He looks like as the smart price Tony Soprano. <laughs> so they have a little awkward exchange on the stairs about their sleeping habits. Did you sleep okay? Oh, yeah. And then Louis sneezes twice. <laughs> Big over-the-top dramatic sneezes. Bless you. Keith, instantly, he's got a gag. Slept with the window open and influenza. <laughs> God's sake. Jesus. Louis says, I think I'm allergic to your dressing gown. <laughs> Most people are. Most people are. It's uh, bright. Wake up in the morning, it's bright. At the breakfast table together, Louis is eating a box of mini Bix and he's examining the box as he eats them. They have this really strange, <laughs> like, just shite chat. They don't taste like Weetabix. No. Do they? No. They're crunchier. Crisper. A bit more crunchy and crispy. Some uh, sultanas or raisins. Mm. I feel like we've been transported into an episode of the Royal Family. It's just very strangely boring chat. Minimix must be pretty new at that point. I don't think they make them anymore. I think that was a fleeting moment. They've now been expunged from the record of the internet. <laughs> this is the only place they live on. 
Then Keith cracks another gag. He says, we used to have raisins in everything as kids until the rabbit died. Louis is not awake. He doesn't understand. He says, is that true? Did the rabbit die? What did the rabbit die of? It's a joke about rabbit shit, Louis. Keith explains the joke, which fair enough, Louis doesn't get it, but he really over explains it in this sort of excessive patronising way. And it's just, God, if someone doesn't get your joke, just move on, you know? Once you have to explain the joke, it's dead. Everyone knows that. And then Keith, maybe trying to be profound, says, comedy's strange these days, isn't it? You have to be not funny to be funny. Or just be funny and just, like, actually be funny. (laughs) We go back to the theatre and it's rehearsals with Keith and the gang. The home and away lead man, he has a bit of a line issue and Keith steps in with some sage advice. This is a man who clearly knows Panto, he knows what he's doing on stage. Louis reminds Keith that he mentioned Louis might be able to play a strawberry seller in the panto. Remember? Remember in the garage? And Keith seems very reluctant, but then eventually says, I mean, yeah, I guess if you want to. He then states that it's just one line and then Louis pauses and says, Is there a bigger role? He didn't even get swan puller last time and he wants a bigger role than strawberry seller. Yeah, I think the look on Keith's face says everything. He's not getting a bigger role than strawberry seller. But Louis offers his services as a stand-in if, God forbid, anything happens to anyone. Sort of makes it sound like he might consider, like, killing off Prince Charming in order to make it. I think he's got his eyes on Jack. Jack is, like, 103 and apparently he's hurt his shoulder. And then Keith kind of rushes to defend Jack, which is really interesting. He's kind of like, it's a lot of hard work. It's not as easy as it seems. There's a lot of improv that goes in there. And Louis kind of retracts. No, no, I wasn't saying I'd be better than Jack. I think he's clearly worried he might have offended him here. I think Keith is offended, though he seems defensive and maybe worried that he's been made fun of. So he is, you know, very protective, not just of Jack, but I think of himself as well. So we cut to the stage and Louis and Keith are on the stage and they're talking through Louis' big debut in Panto as Strawberry Seller number one. Louis has to sing. Ripe strawberries, ripe. Who will buy? Who will buy? Beautifully done. And he has to do some big elaborate hand actions. <laughs> He would be one of the first people the audience would see on the stage. So it is quite an impactful role, I would say. Big gig. Sets the tone. And then the camera moves around to show the theatre and it is massive. Keith's kind of getting excited about it, encouraging Louis to imagine the audience there, all the kids watching. Louis wants to take a moment to drink it in and he takes a big breath. Big inhale. Taking in all that theatre. And then Keith starts to talk again and Louis stops him and says, no, Keith. Take it in. Drink it in. Don't say anything. I mean, it's so funny, but it does feel like he's taking the piss now, and it's a bit unfair. He is having some fun. I think they've kind of established a vibe, though, maybe. We cut to BBC Radio Stoke. Keith is promoting the panto. He's doing the full kind of publicity tour ahead of opening night. So it's an interview with local radio. There's a bit of a scramble because he's been linked up. The host is in another studio in a different place. And Keith is doing the interview remotely from this tiny box. It's like it's 2020. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the equipment is clearly not 2020. Everything looks like it's from 1952. Why is there no engineer or someone there to help them get set up? Where is the audio engineer? This is pandemonium putting headphones on and trying to find the right mic and stuff and you can hear a voice kind of squeaking through the headphones speaking to them Keith's a bit pissed off it's understandable I mean this guy's done some big interviews and it'll have been very professional and now it's like oh sorry uh 
you're using the wrong headphones and can you try the other mic? Someone down the line lets out, that's better, that's much better. She's great. Louis crouched next to Keith and loudly shouts, Is it live? Are you on the air now? Just as Keith's about to go live on air. You know, for a multi-award winning podcaster with a big Spotify deal now, Clady doesn't understand how radio works. So they're talking about how the interview's going to work and Keith says they're interviewing me, Cuddles and Orville. And then Louis, what a patsy, what a rube, he says. Cuddles and Orville aren't here. He seems genuinely perplexed by this as well. Keith says they're here in his mind. And Louis is like a child who's just seen Mickey Mouse without his head on smoking a cigarette. (laughs) He's so (laughs) distraught. He insists it's strange that Keith didn't bring Orville and Cuddles into this tiny little radio booth with him. Is he just winding Keith up? I think he is. You do feel like they're real in a way because Keith commits to the bit so much. So Louis says, but they are really here then. <laughs> his childhood is just being like shattered in front of his eyes here. Keith's about to go on air, literally just about to go on air. And again, Louis sneezes. Is he taking the piss? What is he doing here? Keith gives him a shove as well when he does it. Like, shut up. Louis's got a cold. Get him away from all these actors. So they do the interview. Keith's doing a bit as Orville and the monkey cuddles and his lips are going like crazy. He's clearly enjoying the time off from having to do the ventriloquism. He's also being Keith as well. The three of them are in there. Louis stares off into the distance like a proper thousand yard stare. He looks distraught. This is happening around him. I think probably what he's doing is trying to not look at Keith so that he can imagine the pictures in his head the way that like the listener would. It's still real to me, damn it. During the course of this interview, Keith mentions again that kids don't know Orville today because he isn't on TV anymore because Keith's not a chef. Do you think Louis was like the tester for that joke and then he feels like he can take it out on the road? I think that possibly Keith has a dartboard with Jamie Oliver and Nigella Lawson on it. The interview's over. Louis congratulates him, says that was really good. Well done. And he asks if the DJ was asking a few cheeky questions at first. Keith says... It was asking a few cheeky questions. It's always it's always a, um, like, we've got Keith Harris, let's take the mickey. Yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. Know? Let's take the mickey, and then within a few seconds, they go, oh, clipping it. I think he knows what he's talking about. So he's kind of been a bit of a big man about it. And then mid-slagging off, we hear the headphones crackle to life again. Someone from Radio Stoke is still on the line trying to talk to Keith. Oh, sorry, is that all right? You enjoyed it? Louis immediately starts pissing himself laughing. Keith finds it funny though, you can tell he appreciates the hilarity of it. There's no time to pause on that Alex, the publicity tour rolls on. Get in the carriage, we're going to Crew Town Square. Get in the carriage loser. (laughs) So they're going to Crew Town Square because they're switching on the Christmas lights big deal so keith orville and other members of the cast they've got cinderella prince charming there's a big crowd people are excited did you ever go to the switching on of christmas lights i don't think i did actually really did you uh yes i went in coventry and we had peter andre and katie price whoa a whole new christmas world they sang that there oh god well peter sang it there katie kind of <laughs> struggled along it was a big deal growing up christmas light switching on i'm not surprised to see a massive crowd we see the horse and cart turn up and then keith go onto the stage he's greeted by ronald mcfucking donald what the fuck is going on what is that i don't know why is ronald the compare <laughs> 
Also, why does this Ronald McDonald have straightened, flat emo hair? This is like an off-brand Ronald <laughs> McDonald. There's big cheers from the crowd. Louis watching on from the sidelines. Keith is kind of like rocking the mic and leading the show. He knows how to work a crowd. He does the countdown and he's got Orville there and they switch on the lights together. Well, he switches on literally four lights outside Marks and Spencer's. <laughs> but the lights go on. Slade plays. And then the stage fills up with more people and they're all dancing and singing. The mayor's there and all his regalia. And then Louis on the stage doing the most incredibly self-conscious dancing I've ever seen. Louis narrating over the top that this experience has made him wonder about Keith and Orville's relationship and whether it's always been as happy as it seemed. Another really great cut. They go from Orville singing and dancing and his eyes moving to him just sat lifeless on a chair in a Man United top. No, it's not a Man United top. What is it? Where are they? It's crew. It's a crew Alexandra top. Oh. Fun fact, my dad always claims I was named after Crew Alexandra Football Club. We need to get you this shirt. They're in some sort of like backstage office area. I'm guessing they've just gone straight from the gig and then they've been given somewhere warm to kind of eat some food and chill out. And Louis kind of skirts around the question of whether Keith has a secret hatred of Orville. He asks Keith if he sometimes feels the same way towards Orville as Cuddles does. Keith says, By any means, I can't, you can't resent him because he's, he put me on the map. He made me into a household name after 20 years of being in the business. But he does say... I mean, I obviously created a monster in a funny way. This is some deep shit. Keith has struggled over this green duck, <laughs> which is quite sad and funny and terrifying. I don't know whether it's because he puts so much effort into separating him and Orville that then he doesn't feel he can take credit for Orville. Like Orville did it for himself. Yeah. He's a self-made duck. <laughs> like he's hung on his coattails for the whole time. He says it's very hard to get away from Orville. Just take him off your hand, mate. <laughs> But everybody knows Orville, not everybody knows Keith Harris. They don't know the real Keith. He hasn't been allowed to be all the Keith that he could be. All the Keith that his mum would have wanted. And then there is something about the setting and the lighting and the tone of questions. It starts to feel like an official police questioning from Louis. <laughs> Have you ever got really angry with Orville? No. No. Have you ever attacked Orville? No, 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 no. Never? Yeah. No, he's not that sort of person, is he? You can't, you can't get angry with him. <laughs> Louis says that he's heard that once when things weren't going so well for Keith and maybe his drinking wasn't good, he came off stage and threw Orville to the ground and kicked him. And the thing that I should say is, as much as we're laughing here, when you're watching this, there is a bit of you that's like, that fucking monster. How could he do that to Orville? <laughs> And that's the like beauty of it, that you kind of feel the burden here. He's done such a good job in making Orville a real person, not just a bird, that you're like, no, Keith, you can't bully Orville, you can't beat Orville. He lets Cuddles do it instead. Actually, Louis didn't ask, has Cuddles ever attacked Orville? He didn't ask that. But Keith says he didn't drink when he was working. It was actually not working that led him to drink. He's essentially saying it wouldn't have been possible to be three people while pissed. That's true. I mean, God, there's no way. <laughs> that would have been very bad. There would have been all sorts of swapped voices. Keith would have been coming out of Orville. <laughs> it would have been madness. Even though they're having this pretty serious conversation that goes to some dark points, I feel like they're both still doing puns. Like Louis asks, has Orville been a bit of a burden? 
<laughs> and Keith says, not a burden, but he did put him in a pigeonhole. No. <laughs> this is so weird. Don't know if you clocked the close-up of the poster for Keith's adult Orville set. Yeah, I've heard about this. Called Duck Off. Yes. <laughs> I didn't spot the poster, but I'd read he did a student show. It features Orville and Cuddles, and it says on the poster, not for the easily offended. <laughs> This was Jerry Sadowitz before Jerry Sadowitz, or maybe during Jerry Sadowitz. There might have been a double act. Back at Crew Theatre, it's the next day or kind of a few days after. The posters have been put outside the theatre, ready to advertise the show. Louis questions the image of Jack, the older cast member who's from Carry On Films. It doesn't look like him at all. Keith says, no, when he's got all the gear on, that's how he'll look. Louis like, Keith, Keith. So then the camera cuts from one photo of Jack on the poster to another one. At the very minimum, three decades have passed. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? And it's weird the way that Keith's trying to keep this charade going where he's like, no, he does he does look like that. Trust me. You'll get that. Buy a ticket, you'll get that. He sort of tries to keep arguing and then gives up and is like, okay, you know, sometimes these photos are old. And then Louis notices that Keith's hair is a little bit more blonde on top. Keith says, well, it's the sunshine from abroad. <laughs> he will not admit that he's had his hair bleached. Why did we not get to see Keith having his hair did? It probably only took about five minutes. <laughs> There's not much to work on. Louis says he'd like to get some highlights. The fact we never got an early noughties frosted tip era Louis Theroux is a travesty. I would pay to see that. They go inside for sound check, and then suddenly the stage is alive. Louis getting into it. He's on stage, and he does a really fucking good job of his singing. Is that Louis's actual voice? Yeah. It sounds auto tune though. It's like he's T Pain. <laughs> Maybe it is doctors, but it sounds like him. If only all those people who were so mean to him in New York that time could see him now on the big stage. Look, Craig Revel Hallward might come to this panto, you never know. Louis comes off stage and he's clearly buzzed. He is absolutely chuffed. Unfortunately, Keith is not as happy as Louis is. He's being a real tough taskmaster, having a go at the prop guys for not moving stuff fast enough. And then we watch a bit of performance and Keith's watching the show and he has a face like thunder and he stops. He's like, stop, stop, stop. And he has a go at these really young girls for not knowing what they're meant to be doing. They're not paying attention. They need to get cracking. They're going to look silly because they're not paying attention to what's happening on stage. And yeah, I think he goes a bit hard, really. I think the nerves and the pressure are getting to him at this point. And Louis has definitely spotted that too. So they're going to have a deep powwow over some lunch. Louis worried that Keith is losing perspective. And Keith's kind of stressing out loud. There's not enough time, but, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Alex, in the words of Molly May, we've all got the same 24 hours in a day. You know, you've got to make that work. Exactly. Keith, you and Beyonce, same number of hours. Louis suggests that Keith is putting the pressure on himself and says... It is just a panto, isn't it? You can't just say that. No, it's just a panto in crew. What a snobby thing to say. What a horrible thing to say. Keith rightly pushes back on this. He's like, you can't say that. It's my livelihood. It's my name up there. If it was at the London Palladium or if it was down the road in the YMCA or whatever, if my name's at the top there, I'm the responsible person I'm, because I'm directing as well. 
I think that's fair. This is his baby. He wants to make sure it works. And pride in your work, right? No matter what you're doing, you want it to be good and the best that it can be. Louis is at the top of his game right now, or he's getting there. And he's still in a pantoing crew. So what does that tell you? (laughs) (laughs) Louis decides to press the old emotional buttons. He asks about Sarah. She's got a lot on her plate. Does she not miss you? Keith says he misses his kids like crazy. And Sarah, obviously. (laughs) And he starts to well up just thinking about them. But then he says, I've taken your advice, Louis. I've calmed down. I'm great now. Feel good. Still streaming from the eyes. Everything's fine. And Louis helpfully asks, Do you think you might be losing it? Have you said that again? Why are you crying, Keith? (laughs) Keith says that talking about his family makes him emotional. He's on the edge of tears again. And he makes some kind of joke about the onions in his sandwich making him cry to deflect. Dr. Louis, psychotherapist at large, just ready to fucking break you down wherever you are. It does highlight, though, how on edge Keith is. If you start to cry at the thought of your children, then you're probably a bit worked up about other stuff. So we're back in Blackpool, back in Keith's family home. They're spending the night there. They're going to drive the whole family back the next day for the panto for the debut. Sarah answers the door. She's got baby Shenton. He's crying. Keith's singing Silent Night to him. The Christmas tree is up in the living room and Louis says it's very tasteful. And then Louis does again this like he did in the theatre, this big deep inhale. Like he's inhaling a family home. Like he's inhaling Christmas. Christmas. Do you like Christmas? I love Christmas. Nothing worse than a lonely Christmas. Louis, UK home. Keith replies, you should never have a lonely Christmas. Someone will always be happy to say hello to you. Good advice. Lovely, Keith. We're back at that fucking portrait on the wall. And Louis asks, why doesn't Sarah get to sit down? Sarah is standing in the photo, whereas Keith is in the chair. Because she's wearing a nice dress and she's a model. Like, she looks nice. (laughs) And Keith says, it's about the composition. She sat down in those ones over there. Look, look. (laughs) It's like, look, Louis, he doesn't hate women. He lets them sit sometimes. Why will he not let this picture go? It's so strange. Then they're kind of reading through some of the Christmas cards that have arrived. Keith jokes he's got one from Michael Jackson. How long has he been gone, by the way? It's like he's come home from World War One and he's <laughs> opening all the Christmas presents and stuff. But interestingly, we have a flyer from Timmy Mallet, who is also doing Panto, also doing Cinderella, and it was also featuring Britain's number one ventriloquist, Neville King who I definitely haven't heard of. I think this is before our time. Even Louis says he doesn't really remember him. Maybe there's a vague recollection. His dummy was called Grandad. And Keith says Neville is the number one in his own eyes. But apparently he once told Keith that he was talking to the best ventriloquist in the world. And I said, and you're talking to the richest. This is very Alan Partridge. Needless to say, I had the last laugh, isn't it? sat at the kitchen table louis is talking to keith about whether he'd ever retire keith says he'll never stop because it's in his blood showbiz you never give up it gives you up when people don't want you anymore you're finished but sometimes you've got to kick them up the backside to let them know you're still around mixed messages here yeah it's all over the shop and he talks about people not being up to the job when they can't do the jobs they'll come running back to keith louis kind of calls him out on his bullshit here (laughs) 
<laughs> what are the jobs? What are the jobs? God, we just need a ventriloquist now. This man is dying. This souffle will not cook itself. Where is Orville? Louis says, Keith is kind of being a bit arrogant here when he talks about how the others can't do the jobs. He says, why can't you just say you can do the job and you're good at your job? Why put everyone else down? It's a good point, you know? Let other people do their shit. You worry about you. The race is long and in the end it's only with yourself. Keith is just adamant that Louis doesn't get it. He doesn't understand him. Louis says, that's not for you to worry about. Keith says it is because they're taking my job away from me. He's very possessive about stardom. That's show business though. There is no way Keith is the only performer to ever have this conversation. I'm sure there's hundreds of stars who feel like this all the time. He says, if people can con the audience, then let them. It's really kind of quite dark. Louis wants receipts. He wants to know who he's talking about. And Keith says, oh, loads, but there's no point listing them, which means no one. And Louis then says, Keith's got bile down there. Like he's really angry and it's not a healthy thing. And he says, it's not good for you. This wasn't the positivity I was promised by the dressing gown. Luckily, I think Keith's mum, Lila, senses he's in danger and instantly rings the phone. I am mum. How's the filming going? All right, apart from I'm a bit I'm bitter and twisted, you know, apart from that, I'm all right. <laughs> Talking to his mum and then she says she's bitter that he's not on TV anymore, something along those lines. Clearly, this is where he's getting it from. His mum is the source of all this. Or she's validating his feelings. Because even as much as he says to Louis, I've got everything I want, Louis's like, well, clearly you don't have everything you want because you're angry that you don't have more, you're not on TV. Do we need to go back to the family portrait, Keith? <laughs> Look at it, Keith. <laughs> Settling in for the night after this. This is really weird. They do a little scene, obviously must have been a bit of B-roll film, where Louis is settling in for the night. But he shuts the curtains and is quite clearly topless and is on the ground floor and the light is on full blast. I could see his nipples. And then he gets into bed and he's still topless. Are they trying to soft launch Louis through the sex symbol? <laughs> Where's his TV Nation t-shirt? As he's getting into bed and thinking about the day, he says that it seems like Keith's mum provides Keith with a sympathy that the outside world never quite gave him. But mum, he needs perspective. Bit of love, mum. It's opening night of the panto. Hey. And Keith must be in his element, right? He's signing autographs. He's posing for photos. People love him. We cut to Louis getting his strawberry seller outfit together, putting on this very purple outfit. It's got a ruffle, purple jacket, purple tights, and a purple hat. He looks like little Nas X. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely bizarre either that or he looks like he's about to be beheaded by some french peasants <laughs> i've never bought strawberries from someone wearing this kind of outfit i 100 would not buy strawberries from somebody dressed like that the wig is a lot the wig is like white curly and louis says i don't know how i feel about the wig he goes to see keith and they decide he can take it off so then keith must be very stressed at this point but does do a little bit of practicing the line with louis ripe strawberries ripe <laughs> he does the full bit in the dressing room with keith and i wrote louis 100 percent committed yeah he's really into this this kind of reminded me why i love louis it's his proper weird weekends just throwing himself into a task he's never too cool for school he is fully embraced i'm gonna be a fucking strawberry seller at this pantomiming crew and i'm gonna do the best damn job I can. It's showtime. Louis is on stage. We see him there. We see the production going on around him. He looks really focused. Ooh, 
nails it. And he runs off the stage in adulation. He's loving it. Cut to a bit more of people changing backstage. Keith and Orville singing the YMCA. But instead of the line, young man, it's Orville. There's no need to feel down, I say. And Keith is doing a good classic panto audience interaction bit where he's holding the hand of like a scary skeleton ghost thing and they're all like, oh no, don't go over there. It's, I mean, I hate pantos, but part of me secretly loves pantos. Clearly this man is panto. He's in his element on that stage. And then Louis is back on stage again for the closer, the big closing number. He admits on the narration that the audience loved it and he feels that actually Keith's attention to detail did pay off. The curtain comes down. Louis is congratulating his fellow thesps. He says he was grateful to be a part of it, which is nice. It is very sweet. Keith looks a little bit ruffled. He's on about being 30 minutes over, but he's kind of saying, yeah, you know, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. And then we get a little bit of after the show interaction. We see Keith's dad, Norman. He enjoyed the show, said it was marvellous. Of course he did. Imagine if Norman just went two stars. Not my thing. Sarah says Louis was amazing. Then we see Keith's mum and Louis is kind of a little bit flirting. Congratulations on, on producing such a talented young man in Mr. Harris here. That you're the real star of the evening. Isn't she cute? Of course she is. Yeah, but I thought you were. <laughs> I was the best. Especially in those lovely tights. Yeah. Everyone is happy. Job well done. Not long afterwards, Louis visits the crew cottage for a look at the panto reviews. Louis reads them aloud. They all seem positive. Some quotes I wrote down, Harris is a master of his profession. Harris is a show business phenomenon. He's a gifted comedian and he knows how to knock up a great traditional panto. This show has, Louis pauses for effect, everything. Louis shouts to Sarah that Keith's been in the business for 40 years. That's before we were alive, isn't it? Lol. Keith says, yeah, thanks. Thanks, mate. There is a quote, though, that they're not quite happy about, about Keith being out of fashion. Keith says you're not on Vogue when you're not on the telly. But Sarah's clearly thought it was about his dress sense, which is really funny. Louis says he's really enjoyed his time with them, but it's time to go back to London and he'll come back at the end of the Pantos run. Maybe like five weeks to go or something like that. Look, Louis has been in the north for a full week. He needs to get back down south where things are normal. Back in crew, Louis is wandering up Crew High Street. It's a bit of a Saturday Night Fever sort of shot. It kind of goes up from his feet up to the top, which I find quite funny. He's worried about Keith's tendency to focus on the bad rather than the good. They're back for the last night of the panto. They kind of reunite in the theatre bar. Keith says the panto has been fantastic. Louis pulls no punches and says he looks shattered and orange. <laughs> You look terrible. He's gone a bit Trumpian, actually. He's got the blonde highlights and he's kind of got this orange face. He's had a spray tan, I think. And Keith acknowledges that that's true. He says he's been tangled, which is a lovely bit of nostalgia. Keith says it's done the best business that the Panther has done in the last 10 years. 87% capacity. Pretty good. Louis asks about what Keith had hoped to achieve. And he says to be the best pantomime they've ever had here. Clearly, he is a guy who's driven by competition with other people, with other things, with past experiences. And I suppose that's why he was such a big star for so long. Keith's commitment is what made him the big success he was at that point. They go backstage because Keith just has one, one tiny thing. He's one article he wants to show Louis that has upset him a little bit. So they sit down, they look at it. It's an opinion column, I think, about pantomimes in general. With the headline, Pantastic. 
And there are two sections that talk about Keith. So it starts with, and Keith reads this out, spare a thought for those poor souls for whom Panto is their best chance of work. And Keith is too old to play buttons. Keith Harris, blissfully unaware of age requirements, plays the youthful buttons in Cinderella. So it doesn't seem that bad to me. Like, I can understand you might be a bit like, all right, but he's had worse, surely. But Keith has really taken it to heart. He is fuming. And Louis kind of says there's no thought that goes into stuff like this. They're just writing it to fill space, I think he's trying to imply. Then we see a young girl knock on the door of the dressing room. She wants to get something signed by Keith. And he kind of like shoots her away. I don't mind, there's many you can do it for us. That's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about this. I need to tell you about this. He's really focused on this and he can't let it go. Yeah, he wants to stay in that angry space a little bit longer. Louis keeps saying, you know, it's just an article, but Keith says it hurts him because he shouldn't say these things. Cut to Keith. He's stripped down. He's got no top on, but he's getting ready for his final show. He's got his little orange head on top of his white body. He's got a really nasty cough, which he might have got from Louis' cold. And he's clearly knackered, right? This is the last show in the run. You're probably fucking tired and just a bit emotional, aren't you? He says that people have always knocked what he does because they haven't got the brains to analyse what he actually does do and why it's successful. Which is probably fair enough, like we said, you know, he makes it look easy. But also, you have to be open to criticism if you're doing anything in the public eye. Louis asks if he's winding Keith up and Keith says, no, you just don't understand me. I've lived with it for so many years and it's really screwed me up. It's hurtful what people say. He then starts reciting previous attack lines that have been in the paper, referring to him as like a pathetic figure and his hair is pubic. It's harsh. The power of the written word is that it stays with Keith forever and that's really, really sad. He then starts to point at Orville. It's all his fault. That thing there that I created. Crikey. Louis, protect Orville. Jump in front of him. But then they're back together on stage. Keith's singing with Orville, singing their classic song, Orville's song. About how they're very best friends. Kids are waving glow sticks. The show has clearly been a success. It's just a shame Keith can't see that. At the end, the cast are all leaving after, what, like eight weeks? It's been an intense two months together every night. Keith says goodbye to Scouse Cinderella. And uh, she also gives Louis a big kiss. And then Keith says bye to some of the other cast and crew and he gets in his car and says goodbye to the theatre itself. Okay, it's time for the interview. Oh no, it isn't. Oh yes, it is. To find out more about working with Keith and Orville on stage, we reached out to Anne-Marie Davis, now Anne-Marie Robinson, Brookside star and leading lady in Keith's panto. While initially I was nervous about how much Anne-Marie would actually remember of her time treading the boards in crew, I was quickly relieved when she started the interview by revealing a signed poster of the whole cast, including Keith and Orville. The winter of 2001 is when we kind of see you in this documentary. Where were you at that point in your career and what had been your journey there? How come you ended up in this pantomime? Well, I left Brookside and then went off to um, do theatre, which was a whole new world for me and a great, great experience. I mean, TV was very, very different to, to theatre. And I went off to Durham and did a play called Billy Liar, which was great. But, you know, living in digs and stuff and being away from home was pretty hard. And that was in the winter time. And then I've done various other pantos through my career. But Cinderella was one of my sort of probably 
first ones really looking back it was this thing oh my goodness I was so young and you know still learning still learning theatre but it was great because I worked with some amazing people through all those sort of years really it just brings back good memories you know it was in crew I was staying in digs in a lady's house and I had to be really quiet every time I came in I felt like about 12 again it's amazing doing panto but it's such it's quite a lonely place you know especially if you're away from home and then I think we did around 52 shows or something so it was a long run and doing morning afternoon and evening performances you know ticking off your performances and thinking have I kissed the prince yet (laughs) you know where am I in the storyline because it got quite confusing So you talk about the loneliness there. I'm guessing that your castmates become, you become very close knit if you're doing that many shows together, all that rehearsing, right? You must be fairly kind of a tight knit family by the end. Yeah, I mean, I I became really, I became close to Stephen James King, who was from uh, Home and Away. So I got quite close with him. Uh, I mean, Jack Douglas, bless him. I don't don't know, I would imagine he's not with us anymore because this obviously was a long time ago. And and Vivian Russell, who who was, um, I'm sure they were together if I remember rightly. Yeah, I mean, I got on with, well with everybody and, and Keith Harris is, you know, it was his sort of show really, headline with Orville. And sadly, as we know, he, he sadly passed away, which was, which was very shocking. I always keep all my cast posters from different performances I've done. And uh, I, look, I look at some of them and I think, oh my goodness, he's no longer with us. He's no longer with us. It's, it's, quite, it's quite scary, really. <laughs> So we have quite a lot of listeners outside the UK and some are a little bit younger, so they might not know yeah. Brookside. Sure. And and how big that kind of was in the culture at that point. Yeah. That must have been a big thing for you. You must have got recognised from that. You are now a soap star. That must have been a big thing, right? Back then, it was brilliant. I lived 20 minutes away from Mersey TV. We were such a young cast. So there was a big group of us that used to go out you know, we were invited to all sorts of awards, like the L Style Awards, the Soap Awards, you know, going into clubs and, you know, having all the benefits of, of being a soap star. It, it was amazing. And some fantastic memories. And, you know, especially in Liverpool, it was a, such a, a huge, huge soap. One of, the, you know, the best, in, in my opinion, obviously I'm a bit biased, but, you know, they did all the storylines years ago that other soaps sort of followed really uh, a lot of controversial storylines and especially going into Liverpool city centre uh, I was always recognised it was um, it it was nice don't get me wrong it was nice but sometimes it could be a bit overwhelming you know you're trying to get on yes. with your day or people judge you and then they talk to you and then they go oh actually you're, you're really nice how much did like the older cast members help you guys who were kind of maybe a bit newer to pantomime yeah, I mean, obviously Keith did help us and he was, you know, he's been in the business for a lot longer than I was. So, you know, learning from people like him was just amazing. Even, you know, in, in all the productions I've done, you know, a lot of older members always sort of support you. And in TV, I remember like walking into the green room of Brookside on the first day thinking, what am I doing here? You know, and then seeing like Jimmy Corkill and all the big characters and then just learning from the most amazing directors and the older cast members. It was, it's just brilliant. It's just a, a great start, you know, to have those people around you there's a clip I think I've got like fruit or something around my neck or head I can't remember but I just look back and I just look so scared and like young and just like what am I doing (laughs) so there's a point in the documentary we see you're promoting the show and you're switching on the Christmas lights but there's a huge crowd did it feel like it was an important thing to the town itself did it feel like it really mattered to do this right for crew 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, they do that. You know, whichever panto you always go and ask to put on the the Christmas lights. And you know, Crew's not a big place, but you know, a lot of people came out in the cold. But I just remember there wasn't that many Christmas lights, so it was quite funny to do the countdown: ten, nine, eight, and then the lights come on, and there's <laughs> there was hardly any lights. It's like yay. <laughs> In the documentary, you have a few interactions with Louis on camera. What are your memories of Louis yeah. being there? Was that must have been quite odd to have this guy just yeah. randomly there? Very, very odd. I mean, now, obviously, you know, Louis Theroux is still in the business. He's done amazing documentaries. But, you know, obviously, this was, as I say, years ago. I was always a little bit cautious, to be honest. I think because with newspapers and journalists, I'm always a little bit mindful of what you do, what you say, are they there to trick you? What's, you know, Louis through is, I found him very mysterious and I never can understand why I did. Maybe I was scared back then because I was young. I wasn't sure what to expect. Obviously he was there, you know, around Keith Harris and the Panto. But I always remember stood in the foyer of the theatre and there was loads of people there, you know, with my pictures, wanting autographs. And he was like, you know, looking and doing a little joke. And back then I used to do things like FHM and Maxim and all the, the magazines, um, uh, you know, in your, in your swimsuits and in your underwear and all that. So signing these pictures and Louis was like, you know, looking at these people going, oh, you know, what's that? I was like, oh God, it's me in my underwear. <laughs> What I remember, you know, he was a great guy. He's fantastic what he does. So I'd love to meet him again, actually. You know, I'm a lot older and, and wiser and understand who I am. Whereas back then, I was just like thrown into this world of panto and being interviewed by Louis and just probably quite young and naive and scared, really, on reflection. There's a point in the documentary where Keith and Louis are sat down and Keith's getting really emotional. He's clearly super stressed. Did that come across to you in the cast, how big and important this was for Keith to get this right? Yeah, definitely. You know, he's very professional. He's got so much energy. He never sat still. He was just like, you know, always doing stuff. And, you know, I, I get that. You know, his name is the top of the bill and it reflects on you, doesn't it? If you don't do a good production, it may come back and reflect on him. So, you know, he was only professional and, and just doing what, what he knows best, really. Did you feel like, I really want to make sure this goes well for him? If I do a job, I do it to the best of my ability. I don't sort of cut corners. But, you know, I, I was still young and learning and probably very nervous, to be honest. Um, it's only through more and more pantos and productions and TV you sort of you know I'm more confident now as I was I was back then but yeah no I totally get that you know you put a production out you want it to be the best you can people pay money to go and watch a panto and it's a family occasion where people bring their kids and you know it needs to be right what do you get out of panto it's just fun it's just a lot of fun you know you've been a character where you can just be silly over the years I've done more pantos and um, a lot more self-aware and older and wiser and confident now confidence comes from doing doesn't it um and the more I did productions the more I felt at ease uh, what to expect it is something that I really really enjoy uh, I did one a few years ago in, in Southport but it was quite funny really I, I, I was working along Scott Wright who was in Coronation Street and I was dressed in this Chinese outfit with chopsticks in my hair my character was called So Shy and he was Abenaza it was uh, Aladdin and he had this like green face paint on and a big cloak. I'm sat there with chopsticks in my head. We both looked at each other backstage and went, what happened to Hollywood, mate? <laughs> it's so different, you know, from doing real theatre and, you know, TV. Panto is just fun, seeing little kids smile and getting involved. 
it's part parcel of the job. Any pantos planned in the future? Will you go back to no, it? No, no, I, I would I would never say never. I would love to go and do some more theatre, pantos, TV. Um, but I think the past few years for me, um, I mean, my daughter's 17 now, so she's old enough. I can go off and do stuff, whereas previously it was a bit more difficult to be away to do stuff like that. I love acting. It's it's you know, something I really would love to get back into. Um, and the pandemic, it was really, really tricky for many people, you know, a lot of friends that I've got in, in the business. Um, but I run my own sort of health and wellbeing business at the moment. So I've been sort of focusing on that. I've still got an agent and, you know, I'll still audition. Um, but it's something that has sort of gone a little bit quieter over the years, but it's something that I certainly would love to go back and, and do, do panto or theatre or TV mostly. I'd love to do a comedy. Bring back Brookside. That's surely the... Bring back Brookie. Yeah. yeah. I've had so many people contacting me because they've been redoing them on its STV. Okay. Um, I've not looked at anything. I don't know if I've, I'm in any of the episodes, but um, loads of people go, oh my God, you're going back into Brookside. I was like, I wish. No, it's just the repeat in the episode. So yeah, it would be amazing. You know, I'm still in contact with some of the the cast members, Suzanne Collins is, is my best friend. It would be lovely to do something together. They're back in Blackpool. There's like three locations for this whole documentary. <laughs> He's having one final breakfast with the Harris family before he leaves. Downstairs in the kitchen with Sarah and he's talking about the kind of run-in that they had. He says Keith brooded on it for over an hour. Loyal wife, she says she sees Keith's point. And Louis says, if it was him, he would rather get over it than brood about it. And Sarah says, oh, Keith will be over it by now. <laughs> Louis says, I bet he won't. I bet he's going to bring it up straight away. So look, Keith comes down, pours his cereal. But you can't have a young bones, keep telling you. It doesn't get the pathos. He's still doing it. I'll do it until you see my way. <laughs> until you actually <laughs> sit down and agree with me, I'll come brainwash you like you did me. Louis says he doesn't agree with the article. He says it's horrible, but he's got to let it go. Sarah, interestingly, says, is that your attitude to life? Got to rise above it. Yeah, it's not easy to do. Is that his philosophy? He must have had some bad criticism by this point. I think we'll get to a point where Louis has been spurned by other documentary makers, aka Martin Bashir, later in his career, and maybe he'd feel a little bit like Keith Harris. Sarah kind of says, I don't care if he keeps going on about it, I'm going out anyway. <laughs> but then they keep saying, Keith will get over this as soon as Louis leaves, as soon as Louis is out the door, it'll be out of his mind, he'll get over it. Absolutely no way. Keith remembers criticism from like 1975. So I don't think he's going to just forget about this overnight. We see the family, all the family there. They wave Louis off at the door and he says he hopes Keith does make his way back to TV. And then it fades to black. And on the BBC iPlayer version, there's a message that appears that says, Keith Harris passed away on the 28th of April, 2015. Sad. Sad. we got a few more years. 14 more years. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, there's the closing credits scene, <laughs> which is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. This is where you see why Cuddles gets kept in the box more often. Because Louis is chatting to Cuddles in the garage. He says, did you hear about what they said about Keith and the big issue? Cuddles replies, yeah. Who do you think wrote it? Me. Louis laps it up. He's reliving his childhood dream. Then they kind of get into this weird existential chat. What does it all mean? Nothing. What does it mean? Oh. Absolutely. Oh. What does it mean? Fuck all. <laughs> 
That's the end of it. It's like Keith having this fucking meltdown. It's great. I think a study should be done about the different parts of his personality that he put into Orville, Cuddles and himself. Would you like to know what happened to Keith? Did Keith make it back to TV? Yeah, go on. So Keith wrote 17 of his own pantomimes and had his own pantomime company. Was that his first one? He sold the company in 2009. So maybe he was doing it a bit before, but 17 of his own pantomimes is pretty good going. He and Orville won the Channel 5 reality TV show, The Farm, in 2005. And then he kind of had this little career revival as a kind of like nostalgic figure. We've already talked about his adult show, Duck Off, which he toured student unions with. He appeared in Ashes to Ashes, the BBC show, and Shameless. As himself. I think as himself, yeah. And then performed to the housemates in Celebrity Big Brother in 2012. This is really interesting. He turned down the part played by Keith Chegwin in Ricky Gervais extras of a kind of bitter old racist comedian. And if you've seen the Les Dennis episode of extras, clearly it borrows so heavily from this documentary, like almost word for word. It is incredible. Keith died in 2015 of cancer. I hope he was a bit happier. I don't think Keith was ever happy. I reckon Keith probably wasn't happy when he was on TV every week. I don't know. I think he's one of those people. Some people are driven by being competitive. I want more. I want more. I think Keith probably had that all his life. It led him to do some really good stuff, but I reckon he was never happy with it. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It has to be about the next thing. You can never enjoy the thing that you've just done or you are doing. That's us. It's like podcasting, Matthew. Okay, Alex, to close the show, is this good Louis or bad Louis? I am happy to say that I, for the first time in this series, can confidently say that I think this is good Louis. This was like a breath of fucking fresh air compared to the last few. Yeah, agreed. This is good Louis. Before I watched this, I was going to say to you, is this good when Louis met? Yeah. (laughs) Because I was so sick of saying it's bad Louis, but this is just good Louis. It's a really lovely, interesting portrait. Louis gets fully involved. I love that he does the strawberry cellar thing. It feels very intimate. I don't get sick of Keith. There's something happening. It's great. It's, it's so interesting. And to close the show, we have an interview with Cuddles the Monkey. Oh my God, I wish. Imagine. For his X-rated show. Trouble and strife. Because we've made this day the best of his life. Thanks so much for listening. Join us again for the next episode where Louis meets now disgraced PR guru Max Clifford. Good luck with that one, guys. If you'd like to get in touch, you can drop us a message or comment at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We read them all and we love to see those messages. As always, angels on your bodies. <laughs>